Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, Honesty, Freedom from Depression, by Pastor Matthew Benavides. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consumed Church, you can check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. trying something new today. I printed out all of my notes, even the scriptures, so if you're wondering how I'm reading the Bible without one, it's this paper. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words I hear. And resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leadeth, but one step I may see. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Whenever I am tempted, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him, from care he sets me free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. A modern day psalm by Sevilla Durfee Martin. A psalm that's brought comfort to many, I'm sure. And it reminds us that though shadows come, though fear befall, Jesus is our perfect and constant friend. He watches over us and he invites us into his loving embrace. And he reminds us that he hasn't forgotten us, that we aren't alone. And it's almost as if he's looking right at you. When you read these words, it's almost like he's looking right at you and he's saying, you can trust me. Right? This is a poem that perfectly encapsulates the truth found in Matthew 6.26. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How... How much more valuable are you than they? He says, are you not much more valuable than they? That is intrinsically a part of who you are. Not only are you valuable, but you are much more valuable than all of creation, it seems. This is not Jesus saying that birds don't matter, but what he's saying is even the most majestic eagle flying over the Grand Canyon does not compare to you. This is the imago dei that Pastor John has been talking about. We've been made in the image of God. Even the most majestic eagle does not image God because it can't have a relationship with God like you and I can. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. We can confidently agree with this because it points to two major truths about God. Number one is he cares for you. 
Yes. Yes, you. <laughs> I'm not talking about the, the general philosophical, non-existent you, the, the, the you that you show to the people in public, but the you that, that, that you don't really show everybody. I'm talking about the you that only you know and the you that you don't let everybody see. The you who's still trying to figure out the meaning of life just one step at a time. The you who sometimes wants to hide from God. And the you that's just sometimes scared of your own thoughts. He cares for you. This truth comes from 1 Peter 5. Peter says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties or cares onto him, because he cares for you. Anxieties are real. They are very, very real. I'm not here to diminish your circumstances, and and I'm not saying that, that it's easy. What will I eat? What will I drink? What will I wear? How will I feed my family? How am I going to make it through this semester of college? Those are all very, very real anxieties to have. And they can be very crippling. If you're ever in need, reach out to anybody in this house, please. That's what church should be. That not one of us would be in lack of anything. That's emotional, financial, anything. That is the purpose of this church. But like I said, Peter isn't saying that it's going to be easy, but he's saying you can trust God and that God will provide for you. And he will exalt you at the proper time, but don't allow your anxieties to overtake you, though they are very real. Another modern day psalm that I'm reminded of when I read that is, If he dresses the lily with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? How much more will he clothe you? If he watches over every sparrow, how much more does he love you? How much more does he love you? Hey, there are those birds again. I haven't even gotten into my message yet, but if, if there's a truth that you cannot leave here without, it's that the God of the universe cares for you. I know that it can be hard. I've, I've, seen, I've seen hard times too. And there might be a million good reasons why you don't believe that God really cares for you. There really might. But please, trust me. Trust me in that God didn't send his only son to die and resurrect for nothing. He did that for you. And me. And he also did it to prove that Death would be defeated, and that he would use mankind to do his will on earth because he wants you and his family. Second truth about God he watches over you. And this is a phrase that can seem empty at a first glance, but it's, it's one that's full of hope when we really think about it. Think of a shepherd watching over his flock. Try to imagine it, right? Some guy with a, with a hood and a staff and big long beard. And he's watching over his flock with attentive eyes, ensuring that none in his flock would go beyond the gate, fighting when danger befalls, 
even to the point of chasing after his sheep if one of them is to go astray, or to chase out the violent wolves trying to tear away from his own. His watchful eye is always on his flock. That's true for you and me. His watchful eye is always on you. And I know you might be asking if that's really true. I've been in those seasons where it's like, man, is that true? I've questioned God. And and the truth is, regardless of where we are or whether we think we even deserve his gaze, he is always watching over us. That's something Pastor John was talking about this this last week. That God's not up in heaven and, and, you know, he's, he's telling everything to do his bidding. And then he sees you and he's like, oh, no, I can't bear to look at it. He's so sinful. He's so dirty. Get this thing away from me. No, no, Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths in Sheol, you are there. His eyes are ever on his children. And I want to call to your attention the the words that David is using here. If I make my bed in Sheol, In the depths, in the pit, you are there, O Lord. If if you could tattoo your mind, I'd say Psalm 139, verse 7 and 8 is is a good psalm. Everyone should know it. I think that, that the words in this psalm are worthy of being written in gold. It's one of the psalms that carried me through so many trials through, through so many harsh seasons of, of loneliness and, and sin and struggles and worries and, and whatever. Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Because sometimes life is a mess. Sometimes our circumstances truly are not fair. And sometimes... Sometimes, if we're really honest with ourselves, it seems a lot easier to give up than to seek God in the midst of our turmoil. What do we do when that sinking feeling comes and it doesn't seem like anybody could possibly understand? What are we to do when when songs give place to sighing or when hope within me dies, when shadows and chaos surround me and discouragement is all I know, when the dark night of the soul isn't just one night but many days, weeks, even months? What are we to do? When our human proclivity to guilt and shame overshadows our desire to seek God, when the, the dull yet very present pain of depression is eating away at our souls, what are we to do? Today, I'm going to talk about our struggle, our walk, and our eventual freedom from depression. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that I need you. Help me to Rely on your spirit, not my own insight, not my own knowledge. Lord, I need your help because, frankly, I feel unworthy to address this subject matter. But, Lord, you know that it's, it's something that I've wrestled with myself. Lord, help us all to be honest with ourselves and with our friends and, and with you, with where we are.
Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit is not limited to any portion of my message, so I know you're present. I know you can heal. So at any point in this in this time together, Lord, if you could deliver us from the grips of depression and anxiety and guilt and shame and, and self-deprecation, these things that we're, we're all bearing. Lord, let your will be done. And help me as I deliver this message. Can we all say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen. The title of my message is Honesty, Freedom from Depression. And I want to carefully submit to you that I believe personally freedom from depression is found through honesty. Honesty with ourselves. Honesty with our friends and family, but especially honesty with God. I believe that some of the greatest feats of brutal honesty in the entire Bible are found in the Psalms. Now the Psalms, they help us uh, by comforting us in our affliction. They they renew our souls and and they magnify the Lord and, and they're so beautiful. They're these ancient writings from people of Eastern thought, yet they're still so captivating today. And, and I, I've personally always found the Psalms to be some of the most moving, touching portions of Scripture because of their honesty. The deep troubles, the great joys, and, and the hopeful aspirations of the psalmists can be reflected in every believer's life. The good, the bad, and the ugly, Right? So my goal with today's message is to read some of the Psalms and, and hopefully we can, see, we can see how honesty truly leads to deliverance. Now, before I get into the scriptures, I, I want to go with this in mind. Um, this isn't necessarily a, a, a theological look at the, the realities of depression or, or what depression or what the Bible says about depression, it's, it's, um, it's, it's not a step-by-step guide to how you can be free either. I, I'm not going to promise that. But what this is, is Scripture's way of testifying the very personal ways that, that people have struggled and how God has delivered them and how God has changed their lives and, and how he's even changed my own life. And... Um, Despite some really deep and debilitating pain, if you're honest with God, just watch, watch what he does. All right. You can probably tell by now this is a pretty heavy subject matter. A.W. Tozer once said, Christians don't tell lies. They just go to church and sing them. I will dance, I will dance, I will dance like David dance. We'll dance, we'll dance, we'll dance. Right? Or how about, 
I raise a hallelujah. Except when it's tax season and I'm not really sure if my tax return is going to be good because I don't exactly know how many hours I logged or not. And then I'm going to go to sleep and then wake up and think about it in the morning. In the presence of my enemies. Or even um, his eyes on the sparrow. Right? I, I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. Let me tell you, I'll be the first one to admit it. I've done a lot of unhappy singing. <laughs> I've done I've done probably more unhappy singing than 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 you'd think. And <clears throat> I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. I'm, I'm just saying that, that this is something that we're all prone to, that we're all guilty of at some point in our lives. You know, it's, it's hard. And, and I don't think that Tozer is, is saying this to, to, you know, make you feel bad or put a burden on you. But, but he's saying that, that even in absence of feelings or even in, in the absence of feeling like it, we have to really think hard about the words that we're singing. And um, if, if not, it's, it's just vain repetition. If, if, if we don't really think about why we're saying the words that we're saying or, or why we're doing it, it's, it's being done out of, out of compulsion. And that's not the will of God. You know, I'll be the first one to say it. If you don't feel like worshiping when you come here on Sunday morning, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with you. But I think what Tozer is saying here is, is we, we, if we're going to worship, we need to do it honestly. Otherwise, we're lying. We're lying to ourselves. So, if, if we're honest, if we're honest, truly, truly honest with ourselves, with others, and with God, I believe that, that we can sing psalms, we can sing praises, we can sing worship, and, and it not be hypocrisy. Does that make sense? So let's get into our scripture. Psalm 42. You'll probably recognize from the song that we closed with. Psalm 42 is for the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. Now, we have no idea what mascal means, but scholars believe that it could mean psalm. Um, it's just one of those ancient Hebrew words that, that they just kind of try to take a jab at it. They, they transliterate it here, mascal. But uh, most translations uh, give it a, a psalm of the sons of Korah. It makes sense. It's probably just a musical term. But here we go. Verse 1 says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. The psalm opens with a true heart's desire. And how, how real this should be for all of us. It, it's almost like he's saying he, he wants, no, he needs the real thing. Like, like God, I'm really tired of showing up to church every Sunday and Wednesday and, and putting on a fake smile and, and not feeling changed. You know, the church says, you know, uh, the, the, 
come as you are, leave changed. Come, come as you are, leave transformed. You know, like, I don't feel changed all the time. And I think that's what, what the psalmist here is crying out for, for how he thirsts for God, for the living God. I thirst for you, God. I, I need you. I, I, don't, I don't really feel what, whatever they're singing about, and I don't, I don't know what they're preaching about, but, but, but God, I really need to understand what they're saying, and, 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 and I need your help. My soul thirsts for the living God. I'll continue. When can I go and meet with God? Other translations say to see the face of God. My tears have been my food day and night. Now this, this is true mourning. This is, this is depression. That's real pain. Could you imagine crying yourself to sleep and then waking up and crying all over again because you woke up? My tears are my food, says the psalmist. Day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? This means that real things have happened to this person that that might actually cause an unbeliever to say, where is your God? And this is the the main problem with prosperity preachers saying that life with Jesus means guaranteed uh, health, wealth, happiness, freedom, riches, glory, sunshine, rainbows. You know, a lot of that is true. You will find freedom. Trust me in that. But you might not always find sunshine and rainbows. And I'm, I'm sorry if, if this is your first time hearing that. But the call of, of a disciple of God means to die. We are baptized into death with Jesus. That means we, we should not be surprised at the fiery trials that come our way. Though they may hurt, though they may burn. And the problem with this is, when you're convinced that, that we're supposed to always have guaranteed peace, happiness, riches, is it causes you to, to, to have a breakdown of sanity. You, you start lying to yourself. You start being dishonest with yourself and even with God. And that's, that's really dangerous. If you bottle up everything that's going on inside your mind or inside your heart, man, the enemy will sift you. And if you don't have a way to release that, if you don't have a brother or a sister or a pastor that you can trust with, with those deep, dark thoughts, it's going to be really hard. So please, I implore you, if you're struggling with, with something and you've like, you feel this bottling up, you know, that there's this one thing that you haven't told people, if, if they would know, if they would find out, they would think I'm disgusting. No, that's not true. It says in James that, that confession brings healing, right? We're all guilty. We're all, we all fall short of the glory of God. But we're supposed to be priests. A priestly nation. Right? You can't go walking around with your, with your head down, looking at your shoes. We might endure very, very real pain in our lives. And the, the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. And the reason, the real reason why Jesus is the answer in our pain is it's not so that you can be happy and have a perfect life, but it's because Jesus is someone that you can rely on. And it's someone that that can truly comfort you and be a rock in times of need. That's why 
the psalmist is saying, when can I go and meet with God? When can I see your face? He is crying out. Verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng or multitude. Right? You're a worship leader. You're a pastor's kid. Come on. Pull yourself together. You remember how you, how you used to go to church and, and sing and dance and jump and leap and shout and cry and, and, and it was all with shouts of joy and how everyone was happy and, and you're the happy-go-lucky friend that makes everybody smile. What's the matter with you? Don't you remember? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? We're not always going to know. We're not always going to know why we feel the way we do. But we just know that something's wrong. It could be physical, it could be chemical, it could be seasonal, it could even be spiritual. So we're not always going to know, but we're going to have this conversation with our soul, like, what's the matter? Hey, don't you remember? Just last week, we were praising and worshiping, and everyone was smiling. It was a party in here, they were shooting confetti cannons in here, and it was fun. There was, no, there was no religion. There was, there was freedom. I really felt it. And then I went home and, and everything hurts. The psalmist is about to show us how to combat that difficult pain. He says, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. For I will yet praise him. This will happen. I will sing again. Even if I don't feel like it. I will sing again. That's something that we all have to combat. We all have to, to, to feel the dark night of the soul. In order to, to remind our souls to say. I will do what I know I'm supposed to do. We say devil. I'm not going to let you take my worship. I'm not going to let you take my praise. I'm going to sing. Even though I, I'm mourning. I will sing. Once again, if you're honest with yourself and with others and with God about where you are, this is not hypocrisy. It is not hypocrisy to sing praise and worship songs even if you don't feel like it. And that, that's, that's the importance of, of knowing some of these psalms like, like 42, 43, Psalm 139. He, he's always with me. That's why you, you need to have some songs that, that you can go back to. I remember. I remember those days. Right? It's good to remind yourself of, of those times in your life when, when God was really with you. For me, it's, it's the song Defender. You go before I know That you've even gone to win my war and you come back with the head of my enemy. You come back and you call it 
my victory. <laughs> yes, he does. This is a side note, but as a, as a worship leader, like I was saying earlier, it, it does me no good to pretend like every single song that I choose is going to be truly beneficial for everyone. And that's why most of the time you'll, you'll see me choosing songs that just magnify God and kind of get, get our eyes off of ourselves for a second. But if there's another truth that I want you to leave here today with, it's uh, if, if you don't feel like singing, it's okay. If you don't feel like it, that does not make you a bad Christian. That, that does not mean that you hate God, and, and that does not mean that, that you, you don't like worship. Romans 12 says that worship is, is our lives, our very lives. We worship in spirit and in truth, living our lives as, as sacrifices as our true worship. Coming together and singing songs, it is a blessing. It's amazing. And it's really great to sing songs that, that we all know and, and that, that we all have an emotional connection with. But just praise the Lord to the best of your abilities. Even if that means sitting down. And yeah, that's, that's, that's the worship leader saying that. Even if you have to sit in silence and just listen and think. Because nobody's going to blame somebody for staring at the Grand Canyon in awe, in silence for six hours and say, I don't really think he appreciated it. He didn't break out in song and dance. <laughs> Just do what you're capable of and watch how God grows it and, and watch how it will flourish over time. It's okay. Whatever season you're in, ups and downs, ups and downs, they all exist. We'll be here. He continues, though he knows the answer. The psalmist says, again, why? My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. Here again, we see the importance of, of having those songs. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me. That means that, that it's okay. It's okay if, if you're not just listening to the audio Bible ad nauseum and, and that you found a good song and that song brings you peace. And I can't tell you how many times I've encountered God in, with a quote-unquote secular song. You know, a lot of it is classical music, so there's no lyrics, but, but it's okay. I think, I think it's a victory over the enemy if, if we do anything that gets rid of the thought of him. So if, if, you're, if you're tempted, or if you're downcast, or if you're sad... Yes, please, if, if you want, go to the scriptures. There's no better place to be than the scriptures. But if you can do anything else 
rather than just wallowing in self-pity and self-defeat. If you can do anything else, that is better than giving glory to the enemy by being stuck in, in that, that low. So I, I've experienced this personally, and that's why my heart like it yearns, it, it beckons to see people freed from, from depression when I was 19 years old, I was just out of high school, and I was maybe five months into online school. Um, I graduated high school with a 2.4 GPA, and I was one point shy of getting into the school of my dreams. Just one point, I wanted to go to the, the Houston, uh, the U of H uh, college. Of, of music, the, the Moore's School of Music. It was world-renowned, and I was a choir kid, and I did all the competitions and all that. And I thought, this is my track. This is my life. I know what I'm going to do, except I was one point shy of acceptance. And I knew if I, if I joined a semester late, then I wouldn't be able to know anything, and, and you know, I'd, I'd start off track, and, and it was hard. And I was just like, okay, well, my parents want me to go to college, and Okay, fine. I'll just sign up for online classes. And I, I played video games. I stayed up every single night. Went to McDonald's whenever I wanted. They say 3 a.m. is witching hour, but for me, 3 a.m. was was McDonald's. <laughs> and it was it was it wasn't a, a conducive to a healthy environment. So I would play video play video games till I couldn't stay awake. Go to sleep. Wake up play video games, do my homework on Saturday and Sunday evening, hours before my assignments were due. And, you know, I, I see these things now, now that I'm like, you know, multiple years with that behind me. But at the time, I just, I started to get really depressed. And, and it, was, it was way more than just like, oh, you know, fix these things and that's, that's what's wrong with you. It's, it's so easy. You know, it was like, I, I was... I was yelling at my mom, uh, and I never did that. If you grew up in a Hispanic household, no. No. That is... <laughs> the amount of times I was threatened to meet with Jesus. Yet it didn't stop me. I was like, yeah, I want to meet Jesus. Come on. They're like, wow, you, you don't get it. You don't get it. So... Um, it's it's very different when when you're a, when you're a child when you're young and, and you try and defy your parents versus like when you're a man when you're an adult and and you know that there are ramifications to your speech you know that your actions carry consequences and I was like angry for whatever reason I was upset and um, I didn't know what was wrong with me it seemed like every single day I was just I was getting worse and worse and worse and I was like man why am I why am I doing anything. Why, why am I playing video games? Is it because I, I, I'm bored? Is it because I don't have any friends? And I'm just trying to find friends online. And even these guys, they're just terrible influences. And I'm wasting time. I'm wasting my life away. Why? And then I just I stopped playing video games. But the sadness didn't go away. So I would wake up and just stay in bed for eight hours. It's like, man, what's wrong? I didn't tell anybody. I, I just, I thought... I've been sad before. I, I'll get over it. 
just sad for some reason. And this went on for three months. Um, I stopped stopped going to the gym. I, I didn't care about my sleep schedule. I stopped playing video games. I, I literally just sat around, went to sleep, and woke up and, and did nothing for days. If, any, if anyone in here has experienced depression, I mean, this will ring a bell, right? You know, you wake up, and it's like, oh, here I am. Woke up again. Now what? So, I mean, I, I went everywhere. I went, I went everywhere that Google could help. I went everywhere that my friends online could help. And um, I was starting to realize, oh, man, I think this is actually getting pretty bad. I don't, I don't know if I can handle this anymore. And one night I was, I was taking a bath, and the thought kept coming in my mind. What if you just went down and didn't come back up? What if I just, you know, lock the door, turn the faucet on? No one will hear me struggling. So then I got up. Somehow, I got up and I told my parents, hey, um, I feel like I want to die. And then they asked me, what happened? What, what's the matter? I said, I don't know. I don't know. It was one day to the next. I was just doing what I always do, and, and now I, 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 I hate my life, I told them. So my father, being logical, was like, well, what did you do? And, <laughs> and my mother, being a mother, she said, let's set up a doctor's appointment. We'll, we'll, we'll go see what's going on. So I went to the doctor, and... You know, we we went through the appointment, and and he he brings out this whole list, this huge list of of um, like traumatic events, and and issues and problems, and and he was like, okay, uh, were you in a, a breakup recently? I said no. Uh, did your family move recently? I said no. Um, was there a, a a change in scenery, a, 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 a hard times in the family? I said no, 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 no. No, again, nothing, nothing on this list is, is about me. Um, and he said, son, based on, on this evidence, I can't, conclude, I can't conclude the source of this. This sounds like a spiritual attack. That is a doctor telling me that. Thank God, I, you know, God in his, in his grace and his providence convinced my mom that we should have Christian doctors, and we did. And he said, son, this sounds like a spiritual attack. There's nothing wrong with you. You haven't gone through any of these things that, that would lead to, to the evidence saying that we can diagnose you with depression. So um, let's see what happens. Go home, uh, go, to, go to sleep, and wake up at the same time every day. Do you work out? Go to the gym once a day, maybe three to five times a week if you can. Go to church. You know, go go and, and and bring some bring some I don't know normalcy to your life. So I did that, and nothing changed. It seemed um, I kind of got my life together for a little bit. Started losing weight. Started feeling kind of good. But why, my soul, are you downcast? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Um, 
There was one night, one night at the precipice of freedom, I, I feel, I had a vision. And mind you, there was this prophetic con- uh, conference happening. And I told my mom, I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm too sad to go to this prophetic conference. So that night, I went off to bed, like the doctor told me, go to sleep when it's nighttime. You know, don't use your bed unless it's to go to sleep. So I laid my head down, and I was awake for what seemed like hours. And I closed my eyes, and above me, I could see, it was so clear, I could see something. It was, it was moving. It was like this triangle, square, impossible thing in front of me, floating above my head. And I heard laughter. I could hear laughter. And then there was something within my heart that was like, oh, wow, hear the angels. You hear the angels laughing in the presence of God. And in this thing above me, in this thing that, that I'm seeing in my mind's eye and that I'm hearing, In the physical, I felt the Lord say, and it felt so real, I feel like I almost did hear it. This is who I created you to be. And the Lord reaches out his hand, and he has a strong man inside. I don't know how I knew that, but I could see his hand was holding a strong man. The Lord takes his other hand, and he reaches into my heart, and he grabs the the broken man. He grabs the weak man. He takes the strong man and says, here, this is who I've created you to be. And I fell asleep. And I remember thinking, man, if I wake up early enough, I think I will go to that prophetic conference. But I overslept because I was up so late. And to my surprise, my mom emails me says, hey, the prophet had a word for you. And, man, have you ever had someone read your mail? That was the first time in my life where I experienced true prophecy. I wasn't even there. And my parents are not the type that they would go and and blabber on and tell the prophet all my issues or whatever. But he says, um, You've seen many things, you've seen a lot of issues, even within the four walls of the church, and even though there are so many different things pulling at you, press into me. Then the prophet says, Matthew, I see you going away, I see you almost like at a boot camp, but not to go to the army, but, but to go and, and, and study the word of God. And I was 19, I listened to that audio recording, when I woke up, and I just cried. I just, man, I bawled my eyes out. And I knew, I knew, and you know what? I haven't gone to God. I went everywhere. I went to, I went to Google. I went to my friends. I, I went to the internet. Whatever the internet had to offer, I was trying it. And I didn't go to God. And here's the Lord telling me a plan for my life. I have no idea what it looks like. And it wasn't until three years later that I realized, oh, I'm supposed to go to Bible school. And that brought me here to Dallas. Now I'm here, right? But it wasn't until I was honest with my parents. It wasn't until I reached out and I told my mom, 
I think I want to die. That I found the freedom that led me to deliverance, that led me to the will of God, that led me here. It was through honesty. Verse 9 says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? And to close the psalm, he says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So riddled throughout the issue is also the answer. My tears have been my food day and night. Lord, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony. And I remember when it wasn't like this. These, these are words, as coined by a Baptist preacher named John Piper. Words for the wind. These, these are words for the wind. Statements that are not true, but they seem really true or really right in the moment. And, and this comes from Job chapter 6, verse 26. He says, do you think that you can reprove or reprimand words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? It's wind. The Hebrew word is, is hevel. That is a fleeting. It's, it's a breeze. Soon passing. You know that Moses... Moses said, but now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you've written, God. Man, it's, it's kind of ugly, right? That's extreme. Blot me out of the book of life, says Moses. Jeremiah said, cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and, and to end my days in shame? That's Jeremiah, the, the one who God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and I set you apart as a prophet to the nations. That's Jeremiah. These are patriarchs and prophets. But you can see, sometimes, this is a very dangerous statement. Sometimes you need to say how you feel. Sometimes you, you really, really need to honestly say what's going on in your heart, in your mind. Look at these, look at these men. You know, David is written psalm after psalm about how you know, God turned his face from him and how, you know, he, his couch is filled with tears. And it's like, yeah, not, not all of these things are, are beneficial and not all of them are true, but they're honest. And that's what I've been saying this whole time. Like, if, if you're going to worship, if you're going to offer God a sacrifice, or if you're going to just be here in his presence, 
Be honest. Be honest. Because it's, it's honesty that leads to freedom. It's honesty that leads to deliverance. Every time that these men came to God and said, God, what's the matter? God spoke back to them. God responded. When I told my mom I want to kill myself, she said, let's go to the doctor. I had a friend who was dealing with, with some really rough uh, family issues. And we were up till 2 in the morning here at Bible school. And, and he, he just couldn't break through. He couldn't, he couldn't figure out what was the problem. And, and he told me everything. He laid it out. Logistically, it all made sense and why he should and shouldn't feel the way he does. And he said, honestly, can I be honest? And we're second-year Bible school students. He says, I, I just need to let something out. I just need to say how I really feel. And then he said something that I'm not going to repeat here. And then he started weeping. He released it. He said, by his words, by virtue of speaking what was actually bothering him, he said, devil, you're not going to hold my tongue. Devil, you're not going to keep my mind. I belong to the Lord. And then we stayed up for, I don't know how much longer, just just in the presence of God. Because it was honest. This is also another dangerous statement. Hearing the Bible at the wrong place and wrong time can be an absolute detriment to someone's emotional state of being. Hearing the Bible at the wrong place and the wrong time can be an absolute detriment to someone's mental state of mind. If someone comes to me and they tell me, I feel like God hates me. My life is terrible right now. And then I tell him, well, the Bible says that if he dresses the lilies, with you shouldn't feel like that. You know, this, this Christian thing that we do very poorly sometimes. Well, the Bible says you shouldn't feel like that because the Bible says so. When that person really just needs you to show the love of Jesus Christ to him. He just needs a friend or she just needs someone to hear her. Sometimes just sitting in silence next to someone is all they really need. Yes, there there is a, a right time and right place for scripture. If someone is willing, if someone is, is asking for it, right? If someone has seen fruit in your life and freedom in your life and they're like, hey, What's up with that? We're working the same job. We're going to the same school. Scholars believe that humans speak somewhere between 800 and 850 million words in our lifetime. And five words spoken in a brief moment of anguish is not going to be the cause of somebody's eternal demise. So this is for the theologians in the room. If somebody says something doctrinally incorrect, when they're in despair, that is not the right time to correct them. Job says, do you think you can reprimand words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? Moses said, erase me from eternity. Jeremiah says, I hate the day that I was born. David said, have you left me, God? The psalmist here said, Why have you forgotten me? 
sometimes through the leading of the Holy Spirit, we are led to these moments to speak so brutally, honestly to God that we, we really will find our deliverance through it. Yes. Yes, the words that we say are important. You know, they carry weight. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Those things are true. Every idle word will be judged. And I want to be careful with how I charge you to speak, but I also don't want you to go the rest of your life lying through your teeth. That's not right. And you know what happens? When you sing to the Lord, when you, when you read a prayer, when you read a psalm, even in, in, the, in the absence of feeling like it, you are admitting to God that you know something is wrong and you're not okay with it. And when you, when you approach worship, when you see songs that, that don't mean anything to you, you can use that as a question to, to thrust your relationship with God that much further and say, God, is that true? He's not scared of your questions. God, in his sovereignty, gave all of his children free will because he is so in control that every decision that you could possibly make does not scare him. Yet he still holds you together. God, is that true? All right, Jesus, we are here. We're here for you. Is that true? Do I feel like that? A lot of times we think that distractions are, are evil or that distractions are the enemy. But have you ever thought maybe the distractions are coming in your mind when you enter a place of worship because you have entered into holy ground and the things that are coming up in your mind are what is preventing you from truly worshiping. God is asking you to deal with it. God is asking you to deal with your traumas. God is asking you to, to honestly tell him how you feel. I'm running out of time. Scholars believe that Psalm 42 and 43 should be one psalm. You'll see that there's a lot of repetition. here. So I'm going to continue to read this psalm. The psalmist says, Declare me innocent. Vindicate me, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? There's words for the wind. Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. Lord, there I will go to the altar of God. To God, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp. Oh God, my God, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again. My Savior and my God. Verse Three, he says, send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. First John says that in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men, and the darkness couldn't comprehend it. 
So you want light and truth? You want to be vindicated? You want to know how to be delivered? Look unto Jesus. I know everything doesn't make sense all the time. I know life can be extremely difficult. And my goal here was not not at all to diminish the very real anxieties that you might be enduring. But what I'm saying is, if you're honest with yourself, with others, with God, that just might be the key to finding true freedom from depression, true freedom from anxiety. And God has given us a compendium of truth, of songs, of psalms, of hymns that we have free access to. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.